Welcome to the Celebration Church Podcast. We believe God wants to speak into your life through this message. If you're interested in knowing more about Celebration Church, you can visit our website at celebrationedmonton.com and find us on Instagram and Facebook at Celebration EDM. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoy this message. Everyone had high hopes for Benjamin after he finished third in his class at a predominantly black high school and scored the highest SAT ranking of any student in 20 years from Detroit Public School. He could only afford a $10 admission fee to apply to one college, so he chose Yale University and was granted a full scholarship. He thought he was pretty hot stuff until the end of his first semester. (laughs) Typical student, by the way. Um, Ben was failing in chemistry, and it was a prerequisite for Uh, fulfilling his dream of becoming a physician. Everything depended on the final exam, but he wasn't ready for it, not by a long shot. And that evening he prayed, Lord, medicine is the only thing I've ever wanted to do, he said. Would you please tell me what it is that you really want me to do? He intended to study for the exam that night, but sleep overcame him. All seemed lost until he had a dream. He was alone in an auditorium, when a nebulous figure began to write chemistry problems on the blackboard. This was his dream. When I went to take the test the next morning, it was like the twilight zone. He recalled, I recognized the first problem as one of the ones that I dreamt about. And the next, and the next, and the next. And I aced the exam and got a good mark in chemistry, and I promised the Lord, He'd never have to do that for me again. <laughs> I know that we've got some students probably listening going, I'm going to promise the Lord he can do that for me. <laughs> Amen. Okay. Ben went on to achieve his goal to become a physician. By age 33, he became the youngest director of pediatric neurosurgery in the country, performing pioneering operations at John Hopkins Hospital. He separated twins that were conjoined at the brain performed the first successful neurosurgery on a fetus, developed new methods of treating brainstem and spinal cord tumors, and was awarded the nation's highest civilian honor, the Presidential Medal of Freedom. In 2014, a 2014 rather poll ranked Benjamin Solomon Carson Sr., as among the 10 most admired people in America, he even made a bid to become president of the United States, achieving front-runner status in the Republican primary for that season, all because his prayers were answered with a dream that helped him pass a chemistry course nearly 50 years ago. Wow, the stuff we don't know about people's lives. Isn't that amazing? What an amazing story of God's hand on this individual's life. Ephesians chapter three, verse 20 says, now to him who is able to do far more abundantly beyond all that we ask. Can we just say that together? All that we ask or think according to the power that works within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever, amen. How many know you're expected to ask? You're expected to ask. God wants to do far more beyond what you ask, but he's asking you to ask. He's looking for you to ask. 
That's how you experience God doing great things in your life is that you actually make the ask. In Matthew chapter 18, 19, he says, again, I say to you that if two of you agree on earth about anything that they may Try it again. If two of you agree on earth about anything they may ask, it shall be done for them by my Father who is in heaven. John 16, 24, until, until now you have asked for nothing in my name. What's he say next? Ask and you will receive that your joy may be made full. Now, why is asking so important to the Lord? You know, why, why is it such a big deal that God wants us to ask? I mean, after all, he knows all of our needs. He, he knows our lives. He, he, he knows your calling. He knows the purpose and the gifting that's on your life. Uh, so what is there about asking that's so important to our relationship with Jesus? Why, why is he making such a big deal about ask if God already knows what you need? Well, asking demonstrates faith. And faith is how God moves in your life. You see, to ask means you believe in God. And to ask means you also believe that God wants to act on your behalf. That's the essence of faith right there, that I not only believe in him, but I believe he wants to act on my behalf. Hebrews tells us that he who comes to God must first believe that he is and that he's a rewarder of those who seek him. God is looking for faith. And he responds to faith, and our ask is how we release our faith towards him. In Mark eleven twenty two, 22, it says, Jesus answered and said to them, have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and thrown into the sea, does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is gonna happen, it will be granted to him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, Believe that you have received them and they shall be granted to you. You know, our asking is to be in the context of faith. In other words, it's not just asking for asking's sake, but it's asking with a context or a posture or a disposition of believing that God is gonna answer your prayers. It's asking with expectation. Where does that faith come from? Why is it that we can ask of God for things? Why is it we can pray and ask and actually have, if you will, the right to believe that he will answer? Where does it come from? Well, it comes from a couple of things. First of all, it comes from the promises of God. You know, the promises of God give us a foundation for asking with expectation. You know, when we think about your salvation, when you ask God to forgive you, when you ask him to come into your world as your Lord and Savior, there was an expectation that he would do it and he would act. And immediately you receive from him and experience what it means to have a clean conscience and, and to have an assurance of salvation. You received because you asked believing he would do it for you. Where did you get that believing from? The promises of God. He told you to do that. He said that if you'll confess me, I'll forgive you. Uh, you know, I'll receive you. I'll write your name down in the book of life. All of those promises are fulfilled in our salvation prayer. But there's promises about so much more, isn't there? There's promises about healing and promises about provision and promises for wisdom and direction in life and promises for peace of mind, promises for a future and a hope, and, and they become the foundation of praying, expecting 
to receive. That's why getting into God's word is so important and more importantly, getting God's word into you. Because as you get God's promises into your heart, they become that foundation out of which you're praying and literally praying the word of God and declaring, Lord, this is what you said. This is what I'm believing you for. The second place that gives us a foundation for our asking is the life of Jesus. Just reading the gospels and watching how Jesus interacts with people will tell you something about how Jesus wants to interact with you. You know, I can't believe how many times I've watched people in circumstances and question and wonder, you know, what is God doing? Maybe God's doing this or that. Maybe God's allowed this or that. You know, why do I have all these problems? And, and then trying to go backwards to figure out what God is doing because I have all these problems. And, and, and it's like, if you believe everything they say, the picture that they paint of Jesus doesn't look anything like the New Testament. I mean, when they look at their life and they look at their troubles and then they sort of extrapolate from that and say, well, I wonder if God's this and God's that. They, they paint this picture of a God who doesn't look anything like Jesus. If you want to find out what God is doing in your life, look at what Jesus did in the lives of others in the Gospels. You know, I think of Jesus getting into the boat when, when a storm rose up and, you know, he, he gets, he's in the boat and, and now there's this storm. And what does Jesus do? He calms the storm. What does Jesus do? He gets them to the other side. He gets them to their destination. Jesus doesn't pause and say, well, let's just take this in. You know what I'm saying? He doesn't, you know, he, he, he's not, well, let me just explain to you why I've allowed this storm to happen and, uh, you know, and start going on about that. And he doesn't start talking about, well, I'm just trying to make you into a better person through this storm. You'll almost drown, but we'll try and get you out of that. And he, he doesn't do that. The Bible says he spoke to the storm, he calmed the storm, and he got them to the other side. And, and you know what? We've just been through two years of a storm but we're at the other side. And maybe your life is in some other storm that you've picked up along the way. And I just want you to know the same Jesus who calmed a storm in a boat on the Sea of Galilee is the same Jesus that'll calm a storm in your life today. And he's the same Jesus that'll get you to your destination as well. I think of this centurion who finds out, you know, he's coming after Jesus to get Jesus to minister, his daughter's sick, and then as he's doing this, he finds out that she died. No, don't trouble the master anymore. She's, she and Jesus turns and, and says, don't fear, keep believing. Don't fear, just, just keep believing and, and responds to the situation. I, I think of the, uh, you know, a, a situation that became hopeless. Well, she's dead, it's, it's over now, no hope. And Jesus says, no, no, there's still hope, there's still hope. A lame person who's at the pool of Bethesda, hopeless. You know, just, just you know, Jesus is like, do you want, what do you want? Well, I want to get healed. But every time I try to go, this happens, that happens. He's just going over. I've just got so many obstacles and, and just so discouraged by things that never seem to work out. And maybe that's where you're at. Maybe you just feel like I'm just facing so many obstacles and things that never seem to work out. And yet in the midst of that, Jesus reaches down and heals them. And I just say that to say that no matter what your, your human um, evaluation and interpretation is of your circumstance, that there's a God above your circumstance who wants to reach into your circumstance and completely change things 
if you'll ask. The scriptures encourage us to ask. The problem with our asking is that sometimes we're just asking the wrong questions in our prayers. Sometimes we're just asking the wrong questions. Instead of asking in faith, expecting God to move and, and you know, answer and, and to see our, our faith rewarded, sometimes we're just asking the wrong questions. Sometimes experiencing God in our life, I, I believe, has to do with getting things out of the road so that he can move in our, in our world. In other words, it's not like I need to add something to get this, this whole thing kind of working for me. No, maybe you just need to get some things out of the way so that God can actually fulfill his promises in your life. And so tonight, if you were to write any notes or want to know what to call this, besides calling it first Wednesday on second Wednesday, <laughs> we, our creative team use some prayer. Fair evaluation. <laughs> Just wait till Easter comes. <laughs> First Easter since 2019, where you don't have to wear a mask. That's what we'll call it. It's a long title, but it's catchy, isn't it? All right. Here's the title. Four questions you don't need to ask God in prayer. That's what I want to give you tonight. It'll help your faith. I want to give you four questions you don't need to ask God in prayer. Here's the first question. You don't need to ask how will you do it? Let's do that again. You don't need to ask, how will you do it? Mm. You guys went flat on me. You had it perfect the first time. John chapter six and verse five. So Jesus, after raising his eyes and seeing a large crowd was coming to him, said to Philip, where are we to buy bread so that these people may eat? But he was saying this only to test him, for he himself knew what he was intending to do. Philip answered and said, 200 denarii worth, which is like 200 days wages, worth of bread is not enough for them, for each to receive even just a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, uh, P Simon Peter's brother, said to him, there's a boy here who's got five barley loaves and, and two fish, but what are these for so many people? Jesus said, have the people reclined to eat? Now there was plenty of grass in that place. So the men reclined, about 5,000 in number. Jesus then took the loaves and after giving thanks, he distributed them to those who were reclined. Likewise, also the fish, as much as they wanted. As much as they wanted. Jesus posed a question that was gonna be completely irrelevant, but it was just a test. He said, well, where are we gonna, how are we gonna do this? How are we gonna feed all these people? God asks us to pray in faith, believing that we will be rewarded, but our humanity can sometimes put a limiter on our faith. And that limiter is when we elevate our, our rationale, if we will, over the supernatural power of God. So we may think, well, I can pray and I can believe God if I can figure out how he can answer that prayer. 
You know, as long as I can see how God can answer that prayer, as long as I can see how God can give me that next job, as long as I can see how God can open up that door of opportunity, as long as I can see how God can, you know, increase, you know, provision in my life or whatever it is, as long as I can see these things, then I feel like I can go ahead and pray for it because I can figure out how he's gonna do it. But God's answer to your prayer doesn't require you to figure out how he's gonna do it. That's actually not your job, that's his. That's why you're praying in the first place. I can pray, and we have these thoughts. Well, I can pray for my needs to be met if I can see the way he'll meet them. I can pray for my healing if I can understand the science behind this. Listen, there's a 2004 survey that showed that 55% of US physicians have seen results that they would call miraculous. In other words, they're, they're already experiencing all of this. The thing is this, God is above science. He is the creator, we are the observer. If the scientific method doesn't work on miracles, that's really not a problem. After all, a miracle is above science. I can pray for my future as long as I can see how God's gonna work my future out. I can pray for my career path as long as I can see that path, as long as I can see you know, those opportunities. Listen, miracles do not need your intellectual permission, they just need your faith and trust in God. God working in your life isn't bound by your understanding of how it will happen. And by the way, you should be very happy about that. Because if you had to figure out how it would happen before you could pray, how many of you know something? You'd be very limited in what you could pray for. Yeah. Our ask doesn't require our understanding of how the ask will be answered. In fact, the fact that you don't see how it can be answered and that you don't see a way and that you don't understand what could change is the very reason to be asking in the first place. You're not knowing and having it all figured out should be motivation to look to him and to extend your faith and to pray. It should be your reminder to pray the fact that you can't figure it all out. And so we're not to pray, well, Lord, how will you do it? We're just simply to pray, Lord, would you do it? And then leave the results to God. That's the first one. Here's the second question. Things you don't need to ask God in prayer. Number two. We don't need to ask, is it your will? We don't need to ask, is it your will? Luke chapter five and verse 12 says, while he was in one of the cities, behold, there was a man covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and he begged him saying, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And he reached out with his hand and he touched him saying, I am willing, be clean, be cleansed. And immediately the leprosy left him. If you're always asking if it's God's will, it's like you're putting your faith in neutral. It's like you're pressing pause. It's like you're in the car, you got it in gear, but the wheels are on ice. You're not going anywhere. It's like you got dead batteries in the flashlight. You might have turned it on, but you're still in the dark. It's like you're hunting with a slingshot. You might hit the moose, but you're not gonna have burgers in the freezer, you know what I'm saying? I just thought I'd throw a few redneck examples in there to help people out. (laughs) 
You can't engage your faith and be asking God if it's his will at the same time. I'm telling you, it will hinder your ask. And people get hung up over one verse in the Bible. So I wanna to talk to you about this verse because this is the one I think that hangs people up about this whole, if it's the Lord's will thing. James chapter four and verse 13 says this. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go to such and such a city and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit. Yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. For you are just like a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and also do this or that. But as it is, you're, uh, you're, you boast in your arrogance and all such boasting is evil. Well, let's talk about this passage. This passage is about God's direction for your life. This passage is simply about God's direction. It's about what you should be doing right now and what you should be doing in the future. We all have a unique calling. We all have unique purpose, uh, responsibilities, direction in life to fulfill all of those things. Furthermore, we should be living our lives in pursuit of God's will for each and every one of us. It's called the Lordship of Jesus. So praying to know his will and praying to know his wisdom and praying to know what is the next step I'm to take in life is absolutely valid. That is absolutely a God is this your will kind of prayer. But what this verse is not saying is to consider every prayer as a request for his will when what we need to do is simply see the fulfillment of a promise that he's given that already has dictated what his will is. How many of you know salvation is the will of God? I never pray for lost people and say, Lord, if it's your will. I never pray for lost family members, say, God, if it's your will for them to go to heaven, uh, you know, then, then I pray that they would get saved. I would, that's a dumb prayer, stupid prayer. Why? We already know it's God's will. He says, I desire none to perish, but all to come to repentance in the knowledge of Jesus. We know that healing is the will of God. There's promises throughout scripture by his stripes. You were healed, lay hands on the sick and they will what? Recover. Healing is the will of God. I don't pray, God, is it your will? I pray for his will to manifest. We know that provision is the will of God, that God delights in us being blessed and prospered. We're to be prospered, to be, we're blessed to be a blessing, all of those promises of Scripture. And so as I'm praying for the provision of God, I know it's God's will to provide. I know it's God's will to protect. Psalms 91 talks about the arrow flying and all the things going on, but I'll protect you. And so it's God's will for protection. I know it's God's will for wisdom. He says, ask of me and I'll give you wisdom. So if I'm praying for wisdom, if I'm praying, Lord, what is it that we need to do? I don't say, Lord, do you want me to be foolish in this decision or would you like to be smart in this decision? I'm really just wondering what your will is in this moment. Would you like me to do something really dumb or, or just excellent? What would, you, would be your will? No, we already know what his will is. So we're not gonna pray a dumb prayer. We're gonna pray a prayer that says, God, this is your will. We know you want us to walk in wisdom. You said, ask, and you'll give it to us. Help us, Lord, with wisdom. His word is his will. So if you're praying according to his word, then you can trust that you're already in his will. And if you're in his will, God answers prayers that are according to his will. So instead of asking, is it your will? 
Just simply pray and declare the already written and given will of God in God's word. Question number three of four questions we should never ask God in prayer. We don't need to ask the question, why? We don't need to ask the question, why? You know, as I'm going through these, I'm just very aware of the fact that these questions are the very thing hanging people up from receiving from God and seeing God answer their prayers, or how about this, even seeing them have the ability to pray because they're asking the wrong questions. John chapter nine and verse one says this, as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who had been blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents that he should be born blind? Jesus answered and said, it was neither that this man sinned nor his parents, but it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must carry out the works of him who sent me as long as it is day, night is coming, when no one can work, and while I am in the world, I am the light of the world. And when he had said this, he spit on the ground, he made mud from the saliva and applied the mud to his eyes and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which translated means sent. And so he left and he washed and he came back seeing. The disciples were asking the question, why? Which Jesus refused to answer. They, of course, are coming from the Old Testament perspective that understood that, you know, sin was uh, the doorway to sickness. And so they were concerned to look at him and think, well, I wonder, you know, which, which curse of the law that this guy's living under. Jesus, however, doesn't go there. Jesus comes from a new covenant perspective and, and sees the curse of the law is broken and God's grace and God's favor is now about to act on his behalf. Answering... The question doesn't mean you've solved the problem. You know, there are so many things that go on in people's lives that you could sit around and talk about why forever. And two things would happen. Number one, you'd never have an adequate answer. And number two, it wouldn't solve the problem that you're dealing with in the moment. So many things. In fact, the question why is, quite unanswerable, typically. The blind man could have an answer and he'd still be blind. Right. I mean, Jesus could have went there. He could have said, well, here's exactly why he, he's blind. Let me explain it to you. He could have went there and then walked away and he'd still be blind. So actually answering the question why can be the most irrelevant thing that you can do in a lot of cases in our lives. And what we need to do is to not try to answer the question why, but we need to answer the question what? What now? Not why, but what? What do I need to pray for now? What do I need to expect God to do now? What direction do I need to ask for now? What resource should I be trusting God for now? What miracle should I be praying for now? Instead of asking the question why, we should be praying for what it is that we need to see God do right now. And that's exactly what Jesus does. He, he just ministers to the what, not to the why. And what he needed was he needed his sight. So he goes ahead and ministers a miracle into his life and restores his sight. Stop asking the question why. It's, it's a trap. 
It's an absolute trap. It'll stall you out. You can, you can spend your lifetime thinking about something that's happened in your world with the question why stamped on it, and it'll just stall you out. You'll never get an answer. It'll waste your time. It'll work to sabotage your faith. Set it aside and instead approach life with, okay, God, given where I am right now, what now do I need to be believing you for? What now can I expect you to do? What now should I be praying for? What now should I be believing God to do in my world? Number four, question number four. Another, another prayer you don't need to pray. We don't need to ask the question in prayer if you can. Don't need to ask the question if you can. Mark chapter nine and verse 20 says, they brought a boy to him and when he saw him, the spirit immediately threw him into convulsions and falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth and, and he asked his father, Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood, it's often throwing him both into the fire and into the water to kill him. But if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. But Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for the one who believes. All things are possible for the one who believes. The man is posing a, a request and saying, you know, if you can, Jesus, if you've got this ability. And Jesus responds using his words and throws it back as a, as a question like, if you can, like, why are you asking this? He turns the question back on the man if you can, basically saying, listen, if you can isn't even the issue. If you can is not the issue at hand. If you can is not the question to be asking. The issue isn't about God's ability. And Jesus clarifies what is the one variable to seeing his miracle, which was faith. When he says, listen, all things are possible to him who believes. It's not about if you can, it's about choosing to believe. All things are possible to the one who believes. We are limited, but we are asking an unlimited God to act on our behalf. You know, just think about that word possible and the word impossible for a moment. You know, when we say something's impossible, we look at something, we call it impossible. It's actually a word of measurement because what we're doing is we're measuring the situation compared to us. And we're looking at our ability and we measure the situation, and we measure it compared to us, and we say, this is impossible. But Jesus says, listen, if you'd stop measuring your circumstance to you and start measuring it to me, then you'd realize that all things are possible with God. Luke chapter 18, 27, the things that are impossible with people are possible with God. Impossible is not an end of itself. To say that something is impossible isn't always defining the circumstance as much as it is defining us. It's only impossible to us. But when we pray and we bring God into the circumstances of life, we are no longer comparing our impossibility to ourselves, but rather we're taking our impossibility and we're bringing it in light of our almighty God who says that nothing is impossible with God. Instead of asking if you can, we should pray, I know you can. I know you can. I believe you can. And I'm trusting you 
Thanks for listening with us today. If you enjoyed it, check out more messages like this at celebrationedmonton.com or on the Celebration Church mobile app. If you'd like to partner with us financially, you can give on our website at celebrationedmonton.com. Come back next week to hear another great message.